Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Father, your word said it is of your mercies that we are not consumed because your compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And so thank you that from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us today, that you would direct us, that you would let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight because you, O Lord, are our strength and our redeemer. We know, Lord, that apart from you, we are capable of nothing. But it is with you that all things are possible to him that believeth. Lord, we do believe, and we ask that you help thy unbelief. Thank you for moving in our midst. Thank you for speaking into our hearts. Thank you for preparing us for greater things to come. We lift up our nation before you and the nations of the earth. Lord, have mercy upon this nation. Have mercy upon its leaders. Give us a mind and give them a mind to fear God and to keep his commandments. You said, for this is the whole duty of man. Not only that, but you said in your word that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Turn the hearts, hallelujah, Turn the hearts of our leaders. Turn the hearts of those that are in authority and let nothing but your will be done. I pray for these professionals in their various realms and areas of responsibility that you would cause them to walk in the fullness of your plan for their lives. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. We have no doubt that you are going to return to the earth bodily. And when you return, you will put all things in full subjection underneath your feet. But until then, we are called to walk in measures of that kind of fulfillment of bringing every system subject to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Wherever you've placed us, wherever you've placed us, that's where your kingdom is to be realized. And we give you glory for it even now in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been talking about uh, the macrocosm, the fact that our God is God of the macrocosm. That is, that he is God of the big picture. And the text that we have been using is the book of Psalms, Psalm number 34 and verse 3. Psalm 34 and 3, for those of you who are using a physical uh, Bible, physical either paper or physical on your device, Psalm 34 and 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And uh, my dear brothers and sisters, this is our charge. This is our mandate to magnify the Lord. To magnify the Lord doesn't make the Lord any bigger, but to magnify the Lord does make his image clearer. Whenever you magnify a thing, the thing that you are magnifying is the same size as it has ever been. But when you magnify it, you cause its image to be larger. And in causing its image to be larger, you make those who need to see it, you give them the ability to see it more clearly. And that's what uh, takes place when we say, oh, magnify the Lord. That is, let us give people a clearer image 
of our great God. Let's give people a clearer picture of who he is. That's what we mean when we say magnify the Lord. Um, and one of the reasons why we need to magnify him is because he has been minimized in many eyes. Uh, uh, rhyme unintended. All right. So he has been minimized in many eyes. And because he has been minimized in many eyes, it is our responsibility to enlarge people's vision of God, enlarge people's view of God. Um, I want to begin today where we began yes, uh, where I began last session. I thought we had a pretty, pretty good time last session. I hope that those who were apart would tend to agree. Um, but in the last session, we were talking about the fact that there need to be some settled issues, some settled issues. And uh, let's talk about that settling for just a moment. Here's the first one. I've got several in a list. Now, this list is not um, this list is not demanded to be in this order, but I think that it works. I think it's logical enough. Number one, the earth and all that pertains to it, that is the world, belong to God. Las Vegas has been called Sin City. Um certain forms and genres of the arts and of music have been called the devils, the devil's music, so on so forth. Satan owns nothing. Keep that in the forefront of your consciousness and of your awareness. Satan, the devil, owns nothing. It all belongs to God. Brother Blue, you say that fairly regular. Yes, and I will continue to say it. Psalm 24 and 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The devil owns no institutions. He owns no buildings. He owns no cities. He owns no states. He owns no nations. He owns no arts. He, no, he owns no science. He, he owns no music. He owns nothing, no people. He owns nothing. Well, Brother Blue, so much is in the devil's hand, though. He influences so much. He controls so much. That's because he is a thief. In the book of uh, John chapter 10, throughout John chapter 10, Jesus talks about the thief. And then in John chapter 8 and verse 44, before chapter 10, he said that the devil is a liar. My mama used to say the same thing that your mama probably said, if you lie, you'll steal. Well, that's the devil. He's a liar. And a liar will steal. And so these things that we see him operating with are not things that he I don't want to go here I was just I was just about to um, I was just about to talk about um, shoplifters but I, I'm not going to go there all right so he's a thief well I, I I'll just say um you know, I grew up in small town USA, and there were some people that were known to be shoplifters. And so you see them with the matter of fact, I'm thinking about one right now who uh who uh made an offer to somebody asking them if they wanted an outfit. And the person said, Yeah, they want an outfit. They didn't know the person was going to steal it. And so they're going to dress them up in stolen goods. Well, that's exactly what Satan offered to Jesus. 
you all didn't grow up like I grew up, very obviously. Somebody go offer you stolen goods as, as an outfit. But uh but uh that's exactly what he did with Jesus. Uh in the fourth chapter of Luke, or you call them boosters. I see, okay. I I I didn't get that one. I got you. But look at it. Luke chapter four, the Bible says that that uh, Satan comes to Jesus in the fourth chapter in the fifth verse and says, and the devil taking him up into a high mountain to show unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Do you look at that? Are you looking at that? The devil told Jesus that all of this glory and power belongs to me. He said, it's delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Now, remember this. A lie is that which is uh, communicated or done in order to deceive. A lie is any words or actions that are done with an intent to deceive. You follow that? Now, a lie may be built on facts. A lie may be built on facts, but if those facts are stacked with the intent of misleading or deceiving, it's still a lie, even though every piece of data was a fact. That's actually what we see in the media almost every day of our lives. We see facts being used to deceive. I sometimes give this um, very elementary illustration. I talk about the fact how the little fellow's in grade school and he's learned that in grammar, one should not use a double negative. One should not use a double negative uh, in speech. If one uses no and not in the same sentence, they cancel one another, right? So if if I say I don't have no money, I do not have no money, not and no cancel out the negative and I'm left with the positive. If I say I do not have no money, it means technically I do have money because not and no just cancel one another out, correct? So this little fellow has learned that grammar. His little brother, younger than he, comes to him and asks for money. And the brother knows that mama has taught him and dad has taught him and the preacher taught him, don't lie because if you lie, you go to hell. So he doesn't want to go to hell, but he doesn't want to give his little brother any money either. So he learned in English class that um, no and not cancel one another out, but he knows his little brother doesn't understand that yet. So his little brother comes to him and asks him for some money. And he tells the brother, I don't have no money. He knows that not and no cancel one another out. And so he's still grammatically stating the fact I do have money. But he's using the fact I do have money to mislead his little brother because his little brother doesn't understand the power of the double negative. He just stated a fact, but he lied, didn't he? Because he stated that fact in a manner to mislead this gentleman. Anything that is done to deceive, anything that is done or said to mislead or to deceive is still a lie. Jesus said concerning Satan in the eighth chapter of John in the 44th verse, Jesus said he is a liar and the father of it. Anything that is done with an intent to deceive or mislead is a lie. All right. So when Satan says to Jesus, 
when Satan says to Jesus, this is delivered unto me. Now, now, technically, that's true, but not entirely. He knows that he deluded humanity. He, delu he deluded Adam and Eve. Now, the Bible says that Adam uh, was not deceived, but Eve being deceived was in the transgression. That's true. But understand this. When Paul makes that statement, Paul is a teacher. Microcosmically, Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing in disobeying God. But macrocosmically, he was deceived. He did not know that he was going to cause uh, 19 uh, children and two teachers to be gunned down in Uvalde, Texas, because he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't know he was going to cause 10 people to be gunned down in Buffalo, New York, because of eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He didn't know that a million people would die of COVID-19 because he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He did not, you understand, in America alone, you follow? Yes, so, so in that sense, he, Satan says it was delivered to him. It was delivered to him through fraud. So yes, the, technic the, 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 the technicality of the law allowed him to sit in a seat that is not his own. So he is referred to as God of this world, lowercase g. It's really his uh, because of fraud. All right, we, we don't want to dwell on that much further. The point simply is it was it was taken, the operation of the earth and its systems was taken by Satan through deceit. But the earth and all things that pertain to the earth, uh, they are the Lord's. Now, one of the reasons why I bring this up, Elder, Elder uh, Rocker, is because some of our, much of our theology is, is informed by our hymnody, right? Informed by our musicology. And um, we sing these songs about, you know, I'm leaving this old world, I won't be back, and I'm, and all that kind of thing. And uh, th that's not biblical. That's not biblical. We'll go sweeping through the city when my captain has gone before, sit down on the banks of the river, and I won't be back. I won't be back. Really. All right. Well, where, where are you going? Where is it that you're going? You're not going to be with the Lord, right? Because the Bible says that, uh, say you're going to be up in, uh, you're going to be walking on the streets of gold and all of that. Well, see, all of that, John said, I saw that coming to the earth. And so you're going to be with the Lord. Well, well he's, he's coming to the earth. So if you're not coming back, you're going to be all by yourself. Because the saints are all coming back to the earth. See, that, that that's not scriptural. That's not scriptural. See, it, it's that whole mentality that somebody fed us that we don't have anything to do with this earth. The earth is the Lord's. And when he created you, he named you earth. God. When he created you, he named you Adam, Earth. He named you Earth. And he said, when I get through with all that I'm doing, I'm going to make the Earth the, the center of my kingdom. I'm going to make it the base of my operations for all of eternity. I don't know why. I don't know why God would choose the Earth, but, but, but he's God. He can do what he wants to do. And when you read Revelation chapter 20, 21, 22, you find that God says he's going to dwell among men on the earth. So if you won't be back, you'll be uh, pretty lonely. But it, it, it's fed by that mentality. It's fed by that mentality that um, heaven is now, oh, heaven, heaven is mine, sing it all. Now, now, now we'll claim heaven. God says, I don't need you in heaven. That's why you're not up here, because I don't need you up here. The earth is the Lord's. Now, heaven is, you know, heaven is our eternal destiny and reward and all of that. But what I'm saying is, this mentality, friends, has caused us to turn our backs 
on issues that we have the solutions for have caused us to disengage, disengage uh, connections that, that we have been anointed to bring healing and deliverance and, 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 and cure and security unto. Lord Jesus, we have an erroneous, we have had, some of us, an erroneous eschatology. You know, eschatology is the study of last things. I just saw Bishop Freeman, God bless you, Bishop. An erroneous eschatology. An eschatology that basically says all we have to look forward to is that things are going to get worse and worse. People are going to get worse and worse. Conditions are going to get worse and worse. And the Lord will come get us before we all just go to hell. But that's not all that the Bible says about the last days. You are anointed to withstand the works of Satan. You are anointed to bring about divine disruption and even interruption of what it is that the spirit of Antichrist is bringing about on the earth. After all, who's greater, Christ or Antichrist? Well, clearly Christ. And the Bible said that Christ in you is glory's hope. The hope of glory. Not the expectation of disaster, but the hope of glory. You follow that? And God needs a people. Uh, let's deal with another common expression. Let, let's deal with another common expression. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and God said, let us make man. Go back to 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness upon the face of the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. God said, let there be light, etc. Now, who created the earth? God did. That makes him owner. He's the owner of the earth. He's the owner of the earth. God is the owner of the earth. Satan owns nothing. The earth is the law of the fullness thereof. It's established, isn't it? Verse 26, and God, the owner said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The owner said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Okay, now I own the earth, but I'm going to give humanity stewardship for the earth. I own it. You manage it. I own it. You manage it. I own it. You manage it. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. It, image. In the image of God created him. Male and female created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Is that right? Uh, Psalms chapter 115, verse 16. Psalm 115, 16. The heaven, even the heaven of heavens is the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. The heaven, even the heaven of heaven is the Lord's. He owns, but the earth hath he given, given not as an ownership, but as a stewardship to the children of men. You see it? Now, if all of that is true, then whenever we're in a crisis and somebody says, Jesus, take the wheel, I've got a question for you. If you are supposed to be managing the earth, if you're supposed to be stewarding the earth, when is Jesus going to take the wheel? You keep your hands on the wheel. You better know how to drive. Jesus is not taking any wheels when he gave you the wheel. That's why we're in the mess we're in now. Because we got somebody crazy, religious, talking about, oh, it's getting bad now. Jesus, take the wheel. And you're getting in wrecks and causing crashes because Jesus never told you he was going to take the wheel. He said, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct thy path. He'll give you the GPS. He didn't say he was going to drive the car for you. That's why many saints' lives are in a mess, because they're waiting on Jesus to take the wheel. They'll say this about their children. I'm giving them up. I'm leaving them in the hand of the Lord. The Lord put them in your hand. He's 10 years old, talking about you giving him up to the hands of the Lord. David said in the 144th Psalm, he teaches my hands to war. 
He teaches my fingers to fight. Well, why does he need to teach your hands and your fingers when you hollering, excuse me, <laughs> Jesus take the wheel. Jesus said, no, you keep the wheel and follow my instructions. We're relinquishing what God said is our responsibility. Jesus is not going to come and take the wheel in these communities. He's waiting on us to rise up and follow his directions and follow his instructions. Prayer does not mean trying to get God to do for us what we're supposed to do. Prayer involves God empowering us to do what it is that we are supposed to do, and then God doing that part that we cannot do. But prayer is not shoveling off my responsibility onto God's shoulders. So when you hear somebody talking about Jesus taking the wheel, find out what wheel they're talking about. Because if you're talking about the wheel of responsibility on the earth, he's not going to take that wheel until he comes back in the clouds of glory. Can you see it? Teach me how to steer. Teach me how to drive. Teach me how to have judgment. Teach me how to make sound decisions. Brother Dana Adams, good to see you, sir. He said, you go teach, teach all nations. He said, you go into all the world and preach the gospel. You have authority to bind and to loose. You follow what I'm saying there? That's one of the, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this, this erroneous eschatology, but this overall uh, defeatist mentality is one that Satan uses to bind us and to steal from us. Because think about this now. Think about this. If I'm in a crisis, I've taken, I'm the believer, I've taken my hand off the wheel saying, Jesus, take the wheel. And Jesus has already declared he's not going to take the wheel until he comes back in glory. Who's got the wheel? Let me ask you again. If he gave me responsibility as a human being for the wheel, I've panicked, taken my hands off, and religiously said, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus already said he's not going to take the wheel until it comes back. Who has the wheel? Satan has the wheel. But he only had the wheel because we gave it up and told Jesus to do what Jesus doesn't do. The enemy does not want us to be decisive. He does not want us to be disciplined. Above all, he does not want us to be discerning because our discernment will drive our decisiveness. And if we apply discipline to this, that's going to bring us, of course, to diligence. We're going to walk in victory. Let's go further with these settled issues. I hope this is helpful. I hope these, I hope these reflections and these uh, assertions are helpful to just reset our thinking. The reason why our culture and our communities have declined as they have, even among the people of God, is because we thought that God was going to do some things that he never said he was going to do. He said he was empowering us to do it, do them. He never said that he was going to do them for us. He'll do them through us. He'll do them with us, not for us. Okay. So, um, settled issues, number one, the earth is the Lord's. Everything that pertains to the earth, they're the Lord's. Number two, the earth and its pertinences have been given by the Lord into the stewardship of humanity. If there's going to be change, Jesus is not going to take the wheel. You're going to take the wheel. But listen now, who are you? You are the body. The body of Christ. Number three, um, humanity mishandled 
our stewardship in large measure by submitting to satanic suggestion. We mishandle our stewardship in large measure by submitting to satanic suggestion. Here's what I mean. When the Bible says, let us have dominion, <clears throat> let humanity have dominion, many times, and I'm sure I said it myself in my earlier days, preachers have preached about dominion and said Satan took dominion from mankind in the fall, the fall of man, that Satan took dominion. And, and, and I understand, he exercises dominion by default, but technically he didn't take it humanity submitted it to him as he manipulated us he didn't he satan still doesn't have dominion over the earth humanity still does if satan had dominion over the earth think about it i've said it before i'll say it again if satan had dominion over the earth he would not need when he decides to commit theft break-ins he wouldn't need a human being. He, when he decides to commit murder, he wouldn't need a human being. When he decides to corrupt, uh, excuse me, to commit rape or molestation, he wouldn't need a human being. Anything that Satan wants to do on the earth, he still has to have a human being. Why? Because the dominion on the earth still belongs to humanity. Satan manipulates humanity to use what God has given to him rightfully, wrongfully. Item number four, God put mankind or humankind into the garden to dress it and to keep it. Shanna Scott, absolutely. It does make sense. Satan does not have control over every human being. He manipulates, he manipulated the first two, and he manipulates us to use what God gave us as a stewardship against us, against ourselves. He is the master of self-destruction, of self-sabotage. Oh, man, if he can get you to, nobody can damage you any more than you can damage you. Self-sabotage, self-sabotage. He loves it. Now, let's go further. God put man into the garden to dress it and keep it. Keep means guard or protect. I've often wondered, why did the Bible say he put uh, the man in the garden to dress it and, and protect it? Protect it from what or from whom? Well, he's protecting it from disorder because the difference between, uh, you know, the Bible says God planted a garden eastward in Eden. But he'd already created trees and all that kind of thing. And so apparently this garden represents the fact that God sets a particular prescribed order for these plants, these organisms. And I talked about the fact that the difference between a jungle, which would be just all of those creative things being together, and a garden, same species, is order. The difference between a jungle and a garden is order. And so the one thing that Adam is to protect is order. But the second thing that he's going to protect um, is that he's going to protect the garden from the presence and the incursion of Satan, apparently. Listen, God put him in the garden to dress it and protect it, but apparently he didn't protect it well enough. Now, God gave him discernment. That discernment is exercised when he discerns what the animals are. Remember the Bible says he brought all the animals to him. God brought all the animals to Adam uh, to see what he would call them. He gave names to them. The Bible says that whatever Adam called them, that was the name. That was the name. Not just that became the name. That was the name. It suggests, at least, that God was teaching Adam discernment. All human beings need discernment. He discerns, when he looks at this organism, he discerns its purpose, he discerns its character, he discerns its gifts, and he calls it. He discerns. He detects what God's thoughts were that thing and calls it. 
he discerned who Eve was. Remember when God brought her to him? The Bible is saying, now, now, Adam, here's your wife. Mm -mm. Adam, here's your help. Mm -mm. Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Therefore, shall she be called woman because she was taken out of man. How does he know she was taken out of man? He was asleep. God gives him discernment. He discerned who the animals were. Apparently, he discerns who the plants are. God planted the garden after he created him. So it's very likely that God let him see the gardening process so that he could learn it. So he discerns the plants and the animals and he discerns Eve. Did he not discern who Satan was? When that, when that supernatural being began to speak through that animal, Adam didn't discern. I, I, I submit to you he did discern. Because the Bible says he was not deceived. Adam discerned that there's somebody in this garden or in this on this planet who should not be here. So the question is, was there a lack of discernment or was there a lack, Elder Rocker, of diligence to apply what discernment had taught? You see, God can give you discernment of right and wrong, but you still got to make the choice, the decision to choose the right. Item number four was God put the man into the garden to dress and keep it. He did not keep it well enough. All of the other were subordinate. Number five, Satan suggested, and this is what I wanted to get to today. Satan suggested that God wanted humanity insignificant and poor. Insignificant. God knows that in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall be as gods. That's significant. He says God is trying to keep you back from being significant. God is trying to keep you back from being important. Satan says God wants you insignificant. And then he also teaches God wants you poor. God is depriving you. God is withholding from you. All right. God wants you insignificant and poor, Satan says. Listen, listen. But he says, but I now, I want you important and wealthy. God wants you unimportant and poor. I want you important and wealthy. This lie, I, I, um, I hope all of you business people, I hope you're right here with us. I hope you're right here with us. Because whenever you begin to go into business, one of the things, and into your career, one of the things that you're going to be faced with sooner or later is this lie. God wants you insignificant and poor. Satan wants you important and wealthy. So if you go with God, if you stay with God, if you try to conduct your business with honor and ethics, if you try to maintain an atmosphere in your practice or in your salon that is a healthy atmosphere, if you're not going to have gossiping and bickering and backbiting, you're going to remain unimportant and poor. But now, if you will be dirty, if you will do dirt, and if you will talk dirt, and if you'll get into gossip, if you get into lying, if you get into adultery, if you get into alcoholism and all that kind of thing, I'll make you important and wealthy. I'm telling you that that same satanic lie is with us to this day. And it affects professionals perhaps more than any other subset of humanity. Because, listen to this, humanity has been believing this lie ever since. And I'm not just talking about the unsaved, I'm talking about the saved. Humanity, many in humanity, have believed in this lie ever since. That God wants people insignificant and poor, that Satan wants people important and wealthy. And consequently, 
either people rebel against, quote, God, because they have an instinctive desire for greatness. And so they say, you know what? I guess I can't be with God then because I can't be broke. And I certainly can't be unimportant because I feel greatness all over me. And then there are those who say, well, I'm going on with the Lord. And so that means I'll be insignificant and poor. So anything that comes around that's going to make me significant, I know that's not God. And anything that's going to cause me to increase my influence or my uh, uh, ability or my uh, resources on the earth, I know that can't be God. This lie has affected human beings for the thousands of years from then till now. This idea that if you're going to be with God, you're going to be insignificant and pitiful. And if you're going to be with the devil, you'll be significant and you're going to be well. But ladies and gentlemen, the devil is a liar. God did not call you to insignificance. Remember that when Jesus' disciples argued about who would be the greatest, Jesus never, Jesus never said, I rebuke that spirit of greatness off you. I don't want you great. I want you groveling on the ground. He never rebuked them for wanting to be great. He rebuked the path that they were trying to take, stepping on one another and redirected, come on, Sister Scott, redirected them. And he said, he that would be great among you, here's my path to greatness, let him be servant of all. Now somebody says, see, brother, that's my problem with you and Jesus. Talking about being servant, I ain't, ain't nobody's servant. Okay, well, the first thing I need you to know is that you probably don't understand what the king means when he says serve. Because any from, from Tesla to Amazon to Twitter to Meta to Apple to uh, uh, all of the major Fortune 500, Fortune 100, all of the major corporations of this world if they are affected, it is because they have learned how to master service. See, you don't want to believe Jesus, but the reason why people drink Starbucks coffee when they could make cheaper, even better coffee at home is because of the service that Starbucks provides. The reason why people flock to Chick-fil-A when they could have their own chicken filleted at the house is because they enjoy the service of Chick-fil-A. And any other corporation, any other organization, any other institution, billion, trillionaire in their scope is because people keep coming back for service. Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, you don't have to have an MBA if you really understand. I'm not coming against MBAs. What I'm saying is, before you go get your MBA, I've given you a B-I-B-L-E. And you can learn how to master service here before you ever get in your business administration program. Service. Service. The reason why people would rather stay at a Marriott that are super eight is service. You follow me? Jesus said, if you want to be great, master the art of serving from the heart. You need to put that in the comments and even more than that, put it in your spirit. Master the art of serving from the heart. You will be the greatest of all. Whatever your area is, whatever your field is, Jesus says, I'm going to teach you greatness. You think greatness is about being arrogant. You think greatness is about 
wearing bling bling and waiting on somebody to wait on you hand and foot. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. You're ignorant. Not you now, not you. I'm just talking about who I'm talking about. He was talking to his disciples. So you're ignorant. You don't understand that the path to greatness is mastering the art of serving from the heart. And might I add, serve with excellence from the heart. You got it? Jesus said, he that will be great among you, let him be servant of all. See, now, now, now let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. One more point, and, and we, we, we can't finish if we never finish, but we, we didn't even get nearly as far as I wanted us to go. Now, here's, here's another one of our problems. And, and we as church people, not all of you are church people, but we as church people, this is something that we've got to uh, 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 make sure that we resolve. And, and even some of us as you know, people who look like me, uh, 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 this particular you, Okay, let, let me explain this one. Jesus said, he that be great among you, let him be servant of all. Here's our problem again. We want to serve some. We want to pick who it is that we serve. We want to be uh, subservient and servile and submissive to those that we think can cause us to make it those who can do something for us. But we don't have a sense of every person deserves quality treatment. Every person deserves to be treated with respect. And that's why we have not seen the levels of excellence and success that we could see. Because you don't know who a person is because of how he or she is dressed. You don't know who a person is based on how he or she may look physically. You don't know who a person is, even by the kind of attitude that, that person came in with. You don't know who he or she is. And even more importantly, you don't know who it is he or she is connected to. Because you see, that individual that you choose to serve well, who doesn't look the part, may very well be connected to somebody who can shift the trajectory of your whole life. You understand? Yes, that boy is on drugs, but that drug head happened to be the son of an extremely wealthy and influential individual whose sense of gratitude for how you took care of his son can take you further than you ever could have gotten on your own. Well, our time has expired. What I'm really trying to get you to see is that Satan has lied to us and told us, and he started way back in the garden, saying that if you follow God, you're going to be insignificant and deprived, poor, in other words. But if you follow me, I'll make you wealthy and influential. When it comes out, the truth be told, he has no wealth to give you, and he has no influence to give you because anything he had legitimately he got it from God. The rest of it he stole from humanity. Don't be deceived. If you follow God, whatever the call is, now I don't know what your calling is. You're not, I'm not called to be Bill Gates. I'm not called to be Oprah Winfrey. I'm not they are called to be themselves but god has a path god has a calling god has an an an, an anointing an assignment for you and if you execute that with excellence and serve that excellence from the heart god will cause you to influence those that he's connected to you and assigned to you and he will supply all your need. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm not appealing to greed. Matter of fact, this lesson is really designed to come against greed if you could see all the notes. But it's designed to cause you to understand you do not have to sacrifice the goodness of God because you're trying to see how to cultivate the greatness of God that is within you. It's not either or. It's both and. It is through God's goodness that you will fulfill greatness. All right. Well, our time has come and gone. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, I hope you've heard 
the word of the Lord in a measure. And I, I pray it provokes you to go and meditate. It provokes you to go and study and reflect. And any lie that has been passed down to you like they were passed down to me, renounce them. Renounce them. Anything that keeps you in bondage, renounce it. Anything that tells you that you are not responsible, renounce those things. God has given you responsibility. R-E-S-P-O-N-S-I-B-I-L-I-T-Y. Lord, I hope I didn't put too many I's in there. R-E-S-P-O-N-S-I-B-I-L-I-T-Y. God has given you responsibility. But when you accept responsibility, one great teacher has said, know this, that he never gives you responsibility without also giving you response, R-E-S-P-O-N-S-E, ability, A-B-I-L-I-T-Y. The God who has given you responsibility is the God who has also given unto you response, ability, the ability to respond to all the challenges that come with being who you are. <laughs> I said, God has given you the ability to respond to every challenge that comes with being who you are. Great identity, great adversity, but great opportunity to fulfill the great destiny. Until we meet again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals encouraging you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan ever more brief and ever more miserable. Thank God. Together we shall bring pleasure to Christ's heart and fame to his name. Until we meet again, may the peace of God continue to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 1130 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.